Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Well, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. In this session, I'm teaching in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 from the New International Version. But before we get started, uh, let me give you a little background on this book. Since Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, some false teachers had entered the church and taught the people that the day of the Lord had already passed, that the Lord has already come. And obviously they were left. Nothing had happened. So this discouraged the saints. And uh, some of them stopped working and became idle troublemakers. And Paul wrote this letter to correct that problem and to assure them that the day of the Lord had not come. And he urged them to continue in their faith and responsible, godly Christian behavior. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians with details about the return of the of the Lord, and he, and, and, uh, he encouraged them that Christ had not left them, that certainly God knew them, and uh, that they had no reason to, to worry or to lose faith. Paul's second Thessalonians to the, uh, uh, his second letter to the Thessalonians was written in Corinth, Greece, uh, at about 51 AD. Now, this letter of instruction and righteousness and correction became part of the canon of scripture and has been used to instruct, to correct, to strengthen the churches in every generation since they were written. Now let's begin our study. I'm reading verses one through four of 2 Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy through the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of you you all have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the perse- uh, persecutions and trials you're enduring. So this church was suffering great persecution and, and some great trials, and despite that fact, they were, they were thriving. They were growing. They were standing in faith. And, and so Paul was just like a proud uh, papa. He was like a proud father. He was reveling in the fact that the Thessalonians had received the word of God. They had applied it to their lives. They were standing in faith. They were producing good fruit. They were growing and increasing in the things of God. So Paul did what he naturally does. He he goes before God and he gives thanks to God because all of this good news flows from the Lord. And Paul's reasons for thanking Thessalonians was that their faith was growing. Um, they had taken root and their faith was growing. It was increasing. Uh, he, he thanked them also, thank God also, because their love for each other was increasing. And, and that's what's supposed to happen in the natural life and order of a Christian uh, our love for each other should increase because God is love. And, and when we become Christians, we receive the love of Christ. God's Holy Spirit comes in us. And so the love of God comes comes into us. Now, uh, we have to nurture that because we're living in a fallen world. 
and we're still living in these bodies of flesh. And so there's a war going, going on. There's a struggle uh, between the flesh and the spirit. So we have to cultivate love in our hearts, even though the Holy Spirit is there, uh, even though there is a natural inclination for us to love, uh, our flesh gets in the way. And so we have to cultivate that. And of course, we cultivate that through the word of God, through prayer, through fellowshipping with the people of God, through actively obeying what God says to do. Paul says, you are persevering in faith through all your trials and persecutions. So despite the persecutions, they were persevering in faith. They were continuing on, pressing their way on through all of the troubles that were being brought in their lives as a consequence of their receiving Christ. All these things were evidence that their faith was growing. The fact that they were standing, the fact that they were loving each other more and more, uh, the fact that they were continuing in the faith and persevering through their troubles was evidence. It was fruit uh, of their growth and development. Now I'm reading verses five through six. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. So Paul says all of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Um, as a result of that, you will be counted worthy to enter the kingdom of God, worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, uh, I think that our fruit, uh, certainly we're, we're saved by salvation. We're saved, we're given salvation by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. Uh, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. So um, we come to Christ and we receive salvation through faith, through believing. But our faith produces something. The evidence of our faith is fruit. And if we don't have any fruit, uh, we don't have any faith. So Paul says we will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God through our, our, the, the demonstration of our faith. Uh, we can't just say we believe and not produce anything. So these saints were producing fruit. They were persevering. They were growing in their love. They were uh, growing in, in their good works. Love is expressed by the actions, the things that we do for each other. And that was evident in their lives. And so they were worthy of the kingdom of God. God's judgment, Paul says, is going to come against evildoers and that God's judgment against the evildoers is right. He addresses that in his prayer. He says, you're suffering for God's kingdom and you'll be counted worthy of it. And I want you to know, and certainly Paul stresses this, that regardless of how unfair things are, how unfair they appear to be now. God is a just God. And in the end, right is going to, to rule out. Justice is going to prevail. Um, I encourage myself in that by remembering God's promises because the world is topsy-turvy. It seems like the wicked are prospering, and this is nothing new. It happened in David's time. It happens all the way, happened all the way back to the beginning of time where it seemed like the wicked were prospering and, and doing well. And it seemed like um, the righteous were the underdogs and, and getting the raw end of the deal. But God is just. He rewards us in this life. Certainly he does. But when he comes, when he rules, he's going to set everything right. And we have to set our hearts upon that. 
and realize that the wicked, those who do wickedly, will not escape. Regardless of how unfair things may seem now, God is just. Paul said, God will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. That, that's certain. It's going to happen. And so uh, we don't have to take vengeance. Uh, we just have to trust God. And believing that God is going to make things right is an element of faith. It's an aspect of our faith. Uh, not seeing justice done even by the law and, and even by those who enforce the law. Many times um, they may not bring justice, but we know that ultimately the, the ultimate judge, he is going to bring justice. The ultimate ruler is going to rule in righteousness. And God will give relief, Paul said, to you who are troubled and to us as well, because certainly Paul had suffered persecution as well. King David said in Psalms 37 to assure us that uh, that the wicked would not escape and that uh, injustice will not prevail. In Psalm 37, he says, uh, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. That's a promise that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We are going to in inherit the earth. Just persevere. Just trust God. Just believe the scriptures and we will inherit the earth. God is going to write this thing. And we're coming down to the close of history. I believe we're in the last of the last days. And God is going to be coming. Jesus Christ is going to be breaking through the clouds. And he's going to set things right. So we have the promise that things will be set right and that justice will prevail. Now I'm reading verses 7 and 8. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So um, things may be out of kilter until the coming of the day of the Lord. When Jesus Christ comes again, Paul says he's going to come back in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And he's going to set things right. He will punish those who do not know God, the Bible says, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. God's judgment against unbelievers will begin when Jesus returns in blazing fire with the angels. That's when the immediately after the return of Christ for his saints, a terrible time called the tribulation will begin. And certainly after that, God will uh, judge the wicked. Now, he will punish those who do not know God. Um, and those who have rejected the gospel, who will not submit to the word of God, and some are even jeering and, and laughing today at the notion of the thought that Jesus Christ is, is coming again. And they laughed and they jeered at Noah in his day. And they're laughing at us today because we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. But we have the assurance from God that he will punish those who do not know God, that is, those who reject God, and he will punish those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to know God is to obey him. To know God is to transform our life, to change our lives and the way we live our lives so that they harmonize with God's commands, God's scripture, God's word. Um, when we come to Christ, 
we become new creation, new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so we began to live a different kind of a lifestyle. We began to march to a different drummer. So God says he will punish those who do not uh, obey the gospel um, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that assurance through the, the word of Paul here. Uh, so to know God is to obey him. It is to produce some fruit. Our faith produces a change in our lives. Our faith produces a change in our behavior. Uh, when we become Christians, Christ comes into us through his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he changes our very desires. And he gives us the desire to obey him. And we begin to uh, present or produce good works and do good deeds. To say that we know Christ and not have any change in our lives uh, is, is to lie. And the Bible actually says that in John. If we're continuing in sin, we're, uh, we don't know him. We can't say him, that we know him. And the Bible says, he that does righteous is righteous. James chapter 2, verses 17, 19, and 20 says, so you see, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So the demons believe, but they're not producing any kind of fruit. So their faith is useless. They believe and tremble. When we believe, when we truly believe, then we take action. When we believe, we prepare ourselves. The Bible says that Noah, when he received the word of God, he moved in faith, he obeyed God, and he built the ark. His life was changed. Um, he began to move to obey God, and he built the ark, saved himself and his family. When we believe God, then we begin to move to obey God, to do what he says. And a transformation takes place in our lives. A true believer is one who obeys the teachings of Christ and the apostles. In Acts 26 and 20, Paul said this, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So we should prove our repentance when we come to Christ. It's just not a matter of confessing Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's not just a matter of praying the sinner's prayer. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. We pray the sinner's prayer and we pray it in faith. That's fine. It's good to do that. Pray the sinner's prayer. But if you pray it in faith and you pray it in sincerity, you're praying with the intent to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. That means that he is going to be the ruler of your life. And so you're going to work with him to bring your life in line with his demands. Romans chapter one, verse five says, through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So you see, obedience comes from faith. If we truly have faith, then we're going to demonstrate obedience. We're going to be moved to want to obey him. There is going to be that desire, that hunger, and that thirst in our hearts for righteousness. 
So the proof of repentance and faith is obedience. True faith produces obedience and good deeds. Now, let's look at verses 9 and 10. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So Paul says the unbelievers, those who reject Christ, are going to be um, shut out from the presence of the Lord. They're going to be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. And that's a terrible thing. Uh, I have a list of people that I pray for every day, people that I know, um, and possibly they are not saved. They haven't accepted Christ. So I pray that God will show them mercy and and come into their hearts because I don't want them to be shut out from the presence of the Lord uh, forever. I don't want them to to experience this this suffering. And so we should pray for those that we know who uh, who are not saved that that God will penetrate their hearts and penetrate their minds and and save them. Immediately after the rapture of the church, the punishment of unbelievers will begin. Will begin with the great tribulation period, but it won't end there. Paul says that the saints will glorify Christ when he comes. We will marvel at him. We will admire him. We will uh, run to him. But those who are unbelievers will be trying to run from him. The punishment will be everlasting, verse 9 said, beginning on earth and continuing after death, in hell, and finally in the lake of fire. Revelation 20 and 14 says, death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, you know, we're kind of getting away from talking about hell as if it doesn't exist. It's still there. And so because there is fire, we should warn people that there is fire. We should let them know that to reject Christ is to choose this, this uh, hell and the lake. It's a terrible thing to uh, a prospect, terrible prospect to, to, to think about the possibility of, of being cast into this thing. So uh, we pray for those who do not know Christ, and we uh, try to get the gospel message out to them so that they will come to the knowledge of Christ and faith in Christ. Unbelievers will be shut out from the presence of the Lord forever, and that's a terrible thing. Now, when Christ returns, believers again will glorify and marvel at him, and unbelievers will run for cover. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 says, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now I'm reading verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying in view of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming, in view of the fact that he's going to punish the wicked with everlasting destruction. He's praying for the saints. He's praying that they will continue to grow fruit, produce fruit, that they will produce deeds that is prompted by faith, uh, that he will 
that they will grow up in God and, and, and glorify him, that God will be glorified in their lives. When we, uh, when, when we produce good fruit and we do good deeds and, and we're doing what God created us to do, it brings him glory. Um, just the same as we get glory when our, when our children do well. Um, I've had children who graduated and, and I was so proud. Uh, that they graduated from high school and then then college. Um, and, and when we go to those graduations, we, we celebrate. And sometimes they tell us, hold, hold your applause until we call all the names. And, and we are so proud and we're so, so anxious to, sh- to show our approval that uh, sometimes we uh, don't really hold our applause. Sometimes we're a little noisy. But that's because uh, we're, we're pleased with them. We get it, we're getting glory out of their lives. And that's what happens when, when we produce fruit for God. He gets glory out of us. Paul's constant prayer for the Thessalonians in view of Christ's coming was that God would make them worthy of his calling. That is, to be worthy of God's calling is to produce the fruit that he created us to produce, that he called us to produce. If we're not producing anything, then we're not de- demonstrating that, that we're worthy. Paul also prayed that God would bring all their desires for goodness to fruition. So again, when we become Christians, we have desires for goodness. We have an earnest desire within us, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And Paul prayed that God would bring their good deeds that are prompted by faith to fulfillment. Uh, So here we have another testimony that faith produces good deeds. And if we Say we have faith and our lives are not impacted or changed, um, then we're deceiving ourselves. God gets great glory when we produce good fruit. Our fruitfulness is a partnering effort between us and God. He works in us and we work with him. It's a partnering effort. This uh, passage in Philippians that I'm going to share with you now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because early on in my life as a Christian, uh, I felt that the, uh, uh, the burden of responsibility for me to produce fruit fell on me, that I had to really work to get it done. And certainly we do have to work, but we work with the energies of God. When I discovered this passage, it was liberating for me. And it says, again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So you see, we are partners with God in producing fruit. Um, He is the husbandman. He is the gardener. He is the vine dresser. He dresses us and he does what is necessary in us to produce fruit. He gives us the desire to produce fruit. He gives us the desire to do what is good, the desire to do what is right, but he also gives us the power to do what is right. And we only have to use the power that he gives to us to do what is right. Yes, we have to put forth effort. But we're not just using our willpower. We're using his Holy Spirit power. We're using the power that he uh, places inside of us 
to do what he wants us to do. So we're partners with God. We produce fruit. He works in us, giving us the desire and the ability to produce fruit. To, uh, to produce fruit. And, that, and that's a wonderful thing to know. Well, that brings us to the close of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, short chapter here. Next time we'll cover chapter 2. Now, my friends, there's so much bad news in the world, and there's so many people who are willing to carry it today. What I shared with you today is, is good news. And you can help me to share that, to spread that good news by selecting uh, five of your Facebook friends to share this video with. Jesus said that we were to go into all the world and to teach all nations. And this is a way that you can uh, spread the gospel, obey that command without even leaving the comfort of your home. Just select several friends of yours and send this video, and that's a way of helping to get the good news out. And I will appreciate it, and I'm sure that God will. Well, brings us to the close of another program. I want to thank you for joining us today. And until next time, my prayer that may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com.